How are we doing, church? We good? Y'all are excited today. It's a good day. It's a good day to be alive. Woo! See, even things are falling over. Shaba shaba. Well, I'm excited for this day. I'm excited for today. We're starting a new sermon series called Faithful. Before we go there, I just want to say I'm sorry. I missed y'all last week. Sorry. I say sorry because I'm Canadian. I don't think I'll ever be able to say sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I missed y'all. And I do want to just say, I know Jess said this last week, but I wasn't here. And I want to say a huge thank you to all the, all y'all who have supported Jess and I through this transition, through the announcement of Jess and I and the succession of, of taking on the lead pastor role in June and Murray Nash going up to Toronto for both supporting Murray and Nash in their next step and for supporting Jess and I in our next step. We want to say thank you. We know that transition isn't always easy. Um, that change isn't always fun. And I know for Jess and I, when we were presented with opportunity, we were really in prayer about it and like, Lord, is this you? And we mentioned a bit of that in the video, but we're really excited. We're excited for the future. We're excited for Catch the Fire Toronto. I feel like we're going to be closer than ever with those guys. Our, as Murray Nash described themselves, our weird uncle and aunt can come visit anytime they want and preach on this stage. You guys are so welcome. We love you. And we pray that the Lord blesses you in Toronto. And we also believe the Lord has a bright future for this church that just because Murray Nash are going, the prophetic words of the Lord are not void, that they are alive and well today. And what he's spoken over this church and what he's spoken over this region, he will see to completion. We believe that and we know that. Isn't he a God who always sees things through to the end? Amen. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you who've just congratulated us, who've texted us, who've give us a, given us a hug, who've told us you're with us. We, we appreciate it. We are so blessed and humbled and excited and a little nervous, a bit of everything. So, but it's going to be, it's going to be a glorious future in Jesus' name. Woo! Well, the, like I said this morning, we're starting a new series called Faithful. So Kelly was hitting it out of the park. We're talking about people of faith being full of faith. It's kind of a play on words. And this morning, our text is going to be Daniel chapter 3. Let's pray before we go there. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you've already done in our hearts, what you've already done in our lives. Lord, we thank you for just the way you were pouring out and speaking to us in worship. And God, right now, we just say, would you continue to speak to us? Lord, let this not just be a Sunday. Let there never be a Sunday that is simply a human being holding a microphone. But Lord, let it be a place where your voice is the most prominent voice. Let it be a house where your voice is the most honored voice, where you are the most honored guest, Jesus, where you can have your way, where you can speak your words, where you can say anything. And Lord, just as we, as we dive into your word this morning, as we dive into the Bible, into the book of Daniel, Lord, would you just speak to us? We open our hearts, we open our ears, we open our minds to what you want to say, Holy Spirit, to have your way in us, to show us what it is to be a people of faith as we start this new series in Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we open up Daniel chapter 3, y'all might already be there. Congratulations. Give yourselves a pat on the back. Um, I want to share a little bit of the context here for where we are, for how we get to Daniel. And the book of Daniel was written by none other than Daniel himself. And the context here is... There are many, many thousands and thousands of exiles of the people of, of Judah who are taken into captivity. Between 605 BC and 582, I believe it is, BC, there, King Nebuchadnezzar, he comes and he besieges Jerusalem. 
And after besieging Jerusalem and ultimately the people of, of Israel, the people of Judah surrendering, uh, for four years, the king, he's paying tribute to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's paying him tribute. And after four years, he gets a little too comfy and he decides, listen, I'm no longer going to pay King Nebuchadnezzar tribute. And so the king, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, he comes back and he besieges Jerusalem once again. And throughout these, these two sieges, there are these exiles of the people, most likely Daniel and his companions, who we know in the Bible, we'll talk about them later on, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are likely part of this first wave of people, of young boys from wealthy families who were taken into the king's care. And in the second siege, there was thousands and thousands more of people that were taken into exile, the people of Judah. And along with the riches of Solomon's temple, and just shared on Solomon's temple and how you know, the rebuilding of the temple. And, you know, it's just my opinion. She's my wife, but didn't she do an awesome job last week? She killed it. So I was watching online. I'm sorry not to be here, but it was, it was fun. And this, this story begins to unfold on these, especially these first few chapters on these, these four guys. On Daniel on Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And they're taken from their home. Imagine this. My parents of teenagers in the room, imagine this. Your teenage, teenager being taken away, being ripped through war, most likely castrated and put into the, in, made an eunuch, uh, sorry, a eunuch. And going through all this trauma, having to leave their home, having to come into this foreign land. And I was thinking about these men. I was trying to put myself in their shoes for a moment. And I was thinking about them and how easy it could have been for them to slip into comfort. Like they've just faced incredible trauma. Their mental health probably isn't very great. They're, <laughs> just being real, they're coming into this land. They're having to learn a foreign language. They're, prob they're surrounded by these, these foreign magicians and sorcerers and astrologers, things they don't believe in, foreign gods with a little g. <laughs> and they're taken into this land, and they're having to come and serve the king. And it would have been easy for them to be like, let me just coast for a second. Like, this is traumatic. But we don't see that in the scripture. You see, Daniel tells us a different story and in the first chapter of Daniel, they have this opportunity. They're brought into the king's court, and, and there's a portion of the king's food, of the king's meat, of the king's choice wine, of the king's produce that they're allowed to eat of as they're in this three-year training journey to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. And how do they respond? I think in the flesh, they could have responded differently, but again, in this moment, these are men that were found faithful. These were men of faith. And so Daniel, he goes to the chief of the eunuchs who he's, who he's already gained favor with. I mean, there's a story right there we don't even get to see. He's already gained favor. He's already proven himself. He goes to him and listen, he says, I don't want to defile my, my, the, the law of my Lord, of my God. So please allow us not to eat of the choice meats and the wine and drink of the wine. Let us just eat the vegetables. I'm like, get behind me, Satan, if that was me. I'd be like, give me the meat, just the meat, just the meat, Lord. Um, no, but these men, in all seriousness, they were, they were like, we want to follow the ways of our Lord, follow the ways of the law. And so how does, how does this man respond? How does this chief respond? He's like, listen, in, like, 
in a matter of time, you're going to be looking worse than all the other people. And it's going to be my neck on the line, not yours. And so Daniel responds to me, he says, give me, give us 10 days. Almost like put the Lord on trial. Daniel's just as full of faith in this moment. Give me and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, whose names were changed, give us 10 days. And so after 10 days, what happens? They look better than the ones who had the, had the meat and had the wine, right? Because that's just kind of the kind of God we serve, right? Later on in chapter 2, these, in this story, in this context, these, these Daniel and his companions are faced with another moment of adversity. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. And he, he t- turns to his wise men, his magicians, his astrologers, his sorcerers, and he says, listen, I've had a dream. And he does something completely unheard of. He says, not only do I want the interpretation for my dream, I want somebody to also tell me my dream. And the, the astrologers, I mean, they're trying to be like, they're trying to probably sugarcoat it so that they don't get their heads chopped off. But they're like, so listen... The thing that you're asking us to do is pretty unreasonable. And by the way, no king has ever asked something so crazy before, right? They're like, it's impossible. There's no way. There's no way we can do this. And this gives us a picture into what it was like to be one of the wise men, the condition, the context of these, these young men and their journey of faith. Because King Nebuchadnezzar in this moment, what is he? He's filled with rage, he becomes hateful. He becomes full of rage. He's like, how dare you? I'm, I'm the king. Tell me my dream or all of you, all the wise men are going to die. And so that's just what he does. He commands for all the wise men, all the astrologers, all the sorcerers, all the magicians to die, including Daniel and his companions. And the chief of the guard, who again, Daniel had gained favor with, comes to Daniel. They're ready to kill these guys. They're ready to kill the wise men. And Daniel's like, what's going on? And he tells Daniel, this is what's happening. The king's had a dream, and he doesn't just want the interpretation, Daniel. He wants somebody to tell him the dream as well. And I love it. Like, we need to understand that the context of this chapter, of, these, of the response of the heart here of Daniel and these men, this is not the era of the New Testament in which Jesus has, has came and given his life and ascended into heaven upon his throne and sent the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit day to day. But what's their response nonetheless? Daniel says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get on your knees and pray and ask the Lord to reveal the dream. A surrendered heart. I say, Lord, help. We need you, right? This thing that's been asked, it's hard. It's impossible. But they get in the Lord's face. And that night, Daniel, what happens? He has a dream. And the Lord reveals to him Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the interpretation. I love this. It's like Daniel and his buddies getting before their faces, before the Lord and praying. And the Lord's like, I see a people who please my heart. And so Daniel goes before the king. He goes before King Nebuchadnezzar and he's like, this is your dream. The Lord revealed it to me. He says, no man could do this, but the God whom I serve has revealed to me your dream and given me its interpretation. And so he gives the dream, he gives the interpretation, and the king is astounded. 
Like he's blown away. And he promotes Daniel over the province of all of Babylon. And Daniel's like, not just me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And put them over, he, they put them, they promote them as well over the province, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Why are we taking so long to talk about the context here? Because I believe it's important to understand that what takes place in chapter three, that what takes place in the fiery furnace is not an accident. I feel that it's important to understand these young men, to understand their circumstances, to understand the trauma and the turmoil and everything that they face, being ripped out of their homes, being, being castrated, being put under the, in this foreign land, learning this foreign language, reading these foreign books, being put around people who are jealous of them because of the wisdom and favor on their lives and the promotion and probably being at fear of death. But they were a men of faithfulness. They were a men who chose not to stray from the narrow path, but chose to serve the God. And we, the God that they loved. And we, by our nature as Christians, we are people of faith. We are to be faithful, full of faith. And the title of this morning's message of part one of our series is Unshakable Faith. And I can't think of many, I mean, I can think of a few, obviously, but this, this is one of the best examples of men of faith in the Bible, I believe. These young men full of faith, and we are called to be uncompromising, everybody. We are called to be people full of faith. We are called not to, to bow to the God of comfort like these young men could have. Not to bow to the God of false truth like they could have. There's not a truth, there is the truth. And he's a person. His name is Jesus, everybody. And so Daniel chapter three, whoo, we're going to read this. I love this story. We're going to start in verse 8. But before we get there, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds a statue of gold. And he says, when, when the music is played, all the people, he gathers all the people. And he says, everyone is to fall down and worship this golden image. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. You're going to die. Okay? In verse 8. Yeah, there we are. Awesome. Thanks, thanks, team. Verse 8 says, Therefore, at that certain time, Chaldeans came forward. This is after the music had been played, after all the people, many of the people, if not close to all, have bowed down to worship this golden image, okay? Certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you or to the gold image which you have set up, and they do not serve your gods or worship it. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, once again, we get a picture of Nebuchadnezzar here, in rage and fury, gave the command, bring them to me. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, 
the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But, listen here, if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? I'm like, spoiler alert, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord heard that. And... Verse 17, they say this. They say, if that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will not deliver, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed. Somebody get a camera in there. Like, I want to see this moment. He's filled with rage and he spoke and he commanded that the heat of the furnace be turned up seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind them, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took them up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. <laughs> and he rose in haste, and he spoke, saying to his counselors, Wait a second, did, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered. Remember, this is the king of a great of a seemingly great nation in the flesh, okay? <laughs> he said, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of God. <laughs> then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then they came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on, who, uh, men on whose bodies the fire had no power, the hair on their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word, my word, and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or language, which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses, houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then they were promoted. Guys, this is no accident. This is no accident. <laughs> These were men of faith. These were men of valor. These were men who said yes to Jesus. And this morning as we're talking about being full of faith, as we're talking about unshakable faith, I want to pull a few things from the scripture that I believe are key to us living a life of unshakable faith. 
The first thing that I believe these young men did was they lived a life of obedience. Like the prophet Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice. That these were men who, like we, we, we talked about in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, they were found faithful in the little. And the Lord continued to trust them with much. And when they were faced with death, when the king's face changed before them, as the scriptures say, when he was filled with rage towards them, and he was like, listen, if you don't listen, look at me in the eyes. If you don't listen right now, I am casting you into this fire. And by the way, I turned it seven times hotter. And this fire, this consuming fire, it's probably a scary sight. It's so hot that the men throwing them inside the fire got burst into flames and died. This is a dramatic scene. This is not just, oh, and they were thrown into the fire. This is like, this is dramatic. Think about this. Put yourself in this moment for a second. But they were men that when the king had a dream, when the king was ready to slay, they were like, they fell on their knees and they said, Lord, we need you. There were men who, when presented with the choice meats and the choice wine, said, we want to listen to the law, listen to our Lord, to serve him, and we don't want to eat these defiled foods. They continually, continually chose the way of sacrifice, of obedience, of saying yes to Jesus. And I want to say, how are we doing with our yes? To be a people of unshakable faith is to say yes to Jesus. Are we trustworthy with the little? You know, the Bible shows imagery, is imagery of the seed falling in the ground and dying. It shows imagery of the people who are trusted with a small amount of talents being given much. Can we be found faithful? Can we be found making decisions that are full of faith with the little things in our lives? Because when it comes to, woo, there was a plant there. You just didn't see it. Because, <laughs> because when it comes to the big things in our lives, when it comes to the fiery furnace moments, it's like these guys were basically like, we'll just do what we've always did. We'll say yes to Jesus first. Well, not Jesus yet, but we'll say yes to the Lord our God, Yeshua, first, right? This will be no different than the other times. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I remember when I was a, this is a bit of a rabbit show, but I remember when I was a teenager, I read the biography of Keith Green, a book called No Compromise. A prophet handed it to me. He said, I haven't finished reading this book, but the Lord told me to give this to you. It's meant for you. The Lord told me I read all I need to read. And that book transformed my life. That was a man of absolute devotion and sacrifice and obedience unto the Lord. And that's who we're called to be. The second thing I want to pull out of this, this text there's this phrase, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say in verse 17 and 18, we say, our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us. And then they say this, they say, but even if he does not. Ooh. Unshakable faith has the attitude of even if. Listen, unshakable faith, faith is not circumstantial. Faith, faith is those maybe in this room who 
struggled, have barren wombs. You get real for a minute. And they say, Lord, I believe that you can heal me. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe you can deliver me from the fiery furnace. But even if you don't, I will praise you anyways. Faith is the family with the the parent who just got diagnosed with cancer saying, Lord, I believe you can heal my mother. I believe you can heal my father of this sickness, of this disease. But even if you don't, we will praise you anyways. Faith is the homeless or the, the person who's lost a job in this room saying, Lord, I believe you can provide a home for me. Lord, I believe you can provide a job for me. But even if you don't, I will praise you anyways. You see, faith, faith is not simply walking in the dark. Faith is not walking around blindfolded. Faith is stepping into his promises. Faith is stepping into his nature. And listen, faith is stepping into the greatest promise you and I have ever received. And that is the promise of eternity. That is the promise of eternity. And I've wrestled with this at times. Lord, why do some get healed and some don't? Lord, I've personally felt stirred by the Lord at the beginning of this year in January to begin to contend for more miracles in this house. So I want to join you, church family, to pray. And I actually, I said that in the first service and that we had two deaf people and two slightly blind people come up and ask for prayer. So let us see this. Let us see miracles in our day. But I've wrestled with this this conflict at times that we can't pretend doesn't exist where sometimes it's like, Lord, well, why not that person? And I realized hard as it sometimes is to swallow in my natural flesh, it's like he already gave me the greatest gift of all time. Outside of eternity, he owes me nothing. He didn't even owe us that. He gave that to us freely out of a love-filled heart. But listen, God was like, you're going to spend eternity with me. Woo! Like, we're going to forever be together. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more shedding of tears. We will be together forever in the heavenly of heavens. And listen, I want to charge us to hold on to the promise of salvation. It is the foundation of our salvation. It's the promise of eternity with him. Even if, Lord, even if I don't see the breakthrough, Lord, even if we don't see the Benny Johnson right now, Lord, we stand and we say, who's struggling with cancer at a Bethel church, Lord, I believe you can heal her. But I know Bethel has said we're going to be a cancer-free zone. And I know that even if something were to go wrong, which I'm believing it won't, I know that Bill will not change his attitude and his tune that Lord, I will praise you anyways because my faith is not circumstantial. My faith is in you, Jesus. So Lord, let this be a cancer-free zone, amen? Let this be a sickness-free zone, God. We contend for more miracles in this house, Lord. Lord, would you find a people who are found faithful? Would you find a people of faith, Lord? And would you just release your anointing for miracles in the name of Jesus? And when we face adversity, when we face persecution, it is the greatest opportunity for God to manifest his glory. When you face persecution, maybe you do missions work. When you face persecution on the mission field, when you face persecution at your jobs, when you face persecution wherever you are, it's the greatest opportunity for God to reveal himself through you. The last thing I want to pull out of this text is is that unshakable faith, it comes from him. 
That's the really good news. This is the good part. Come on, tell somebody next to you, this is the good part. (laughs) This is the good part, okay? Jesus, what did King Nebuchadnezzar say about that man in the fire? Come on, what did he say? It looks like a son of God. Many people believe that this was, was a foretelling, was a foreshadowing. It was imagery of the son of man who was to come. Jesus in the fire. Unshakable faith, we realize our need for Jesus. That we can't do it on our own. That we can't do it in our weakness. I was on the floor here a couple weeks ago. Duncan mentioned this. I was crying out to the Lord in my own self-pity how unworthy I was to, to take on this role because I'd been grumpy the, that weekend at my kids. And I felt bad. I'm, I'm highly emotional. And I felt bad. And I was talking to the Lord. And I was feeling so unworthy. And the Lord just said so tenderly yet convictingly, he said, Lord, Aaron, just remember, I like to use weak things. It's like, it's not your strength that qualifies you to be on a stage and preach. It is only the power that is within you through Jesus Christ, through the faith that is found in him. He is the great qualifier. And he's so good at qualifying the unqualified. And making us ready. And I don't stand up here with pride. I stand up here humbled and being like, Lord, help us do a good job. Okay? But we are never alone. Just on Friday, I was having another one of those moments. I was, my, my, my youngest daughter, Selah, she is a hurricane. Much like Murray and Ash call their, their daughter Izzy, Hurricane Izzy. My daughter, Selah, she's Hurricane Selah. She'll, like, find everything. She'll rip makeup out and candles. She'll be eating candles. She'll go and find soap bottles and be, like, putting soap everywhere. She'll, we found her this Christmas at my sister's. She found makeup and put bronzer all over her body. She is just, like, into everything. And it's like, I'm exhausted, Selah. Stop it. And... So I was having this morning on Friday, Jess had a rough sleep. I was letting her sleep in. And it was like 9.15, Jess got up. And I'm feeling grumpy at this point. I'm like, I'm about to lose it at this child, this hurricane. And guess what I did? I went upstairs, tapped out, went upstairs. I sat on my bed and I got with Jesus for something as simple as this. Yes, I'm contextualizing it down to the minutia for us, Okay. I got to the Lord, I got in his face, and I began to forgive my daughter. (laughs) Why not? She's two. It's like, I get it. She knows not what she does, but the Lord also says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm like, Father, forgive Selah. She knows not what she does, but she's driving me crazy. And so I'm forgiving her, and then I'm just inviting the Holy Spirit into my day. Like, Lord, I need you to be a good parent let alone jump in a fiery furnace. I need you to be a good dad. Listen, that is my fiery furnace, exactly. The Lord gives us those hurricane children for a reason. And we're not alone, everybody. We're never alone. It's his strength in us, his strength made perfect in our weakness. And you know what I love? I preached on Daniel chapter three on the fiery furnace back in 2009 to my, my classmates at Bethel School of Supernatural Revival. Um, and it was my little group of revival group of about 70 people. And what struck me as I was preparing, as I was reading the scripture, was the way that 
that the Lord reveals himself in this moment. Like, I think, like, the Lord could have simply, they could have simply not burned from the fire and everyone would have been like, yeah, that's the God of Israel. Like, okay. They would have been astounded. It would have been an incredible moment. God could have shown up on the outside of the fire. He had, like, a scoreboard, given them a 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10, depending on how strong they looked in there. Like, whatever. Like, he's cheering them on, pom-poms, cheerleader. Y'all stay with me. He could have been on the outside of the fire. But that's not who he is. He, he, showed, he revealed himself on the inside of the fire. And the Lord is intimately involved in our lives. He's not far removed from our circumstances. You know, in rugby, you have a thing called a, like a, a mall. And a mall is when you're just, as a team, you're just ready to plow through the other team. My small town back in Canada didn't have football. Otherwise, I probably would have played football. But I wanted to hit people, so I was like, let's play rugby, Okay. In a sport, like lovingly hit people in a sport, okay? <laughs> and so I joined the rugby team. I also played volleyball and basketball. I was like, let me play any sports to get out of school. And I was on the rugby team, and there's this thing called a mall. And you basically, you're running, as a, as a, you're running with the ball, and you just turn your back to the other team. Your teammates literally grab you, latch onto you, and as many of your teammates come behind you and form this like arm-to-arm, shoulder-to-shoulder, Basically, let's see how far we can just push you down the field with the ball. And it's just this it's just this beastly, like, conflict of the most powerful side of the mall, right? You're just trampling over people, and it's a great sport. I love rugby. It is so fun. Right, Murray? Yes. And that's, that's what Jesus is like. He's like, let me get in the mall. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I don't want to be the coach. I want to get in there. I want to get in the fire. Like He's like, we can do this. Come on, we got this. Let's move. Run him over. Run the enemy over. He is intimately involved in our lives. He's the man in the fire, in the flame, in the tribulation, in the persecution, in the adversity we face. And that unshakable faith, listen, if it was our mall in our own strength, if it was our own push it, trying to do it in our strength, we would suck. Newsflash. But Jesus is like, I'm with you. I'm not going to commission you to do anything that I won't give you the grace for. And so he's with us. He's with us in this faith journey that Jesus was like, Man, it's just, it's so incredible. I think about what it could have been like to live with Jesus, to know Jesus intimately, personally, face to face. I mean, in the flesh, okay? And what a beautiful moment that would have been for his disciples. But Jesus looked them in the eyes and said, it's actually better for you that I go because my Holy Spirit's gonna come and fill every single one of you with that same spirit that rose me from this dead. Faith is looking death in the eyes and saying, where's your sting? So where are we at? Where are we at? <laughs> Jesus. The last couple of years, I've been reading, reading my Bible through a year, and the last two years I've been at the gym reading the story of Joseph 
And I love this story. I think it's become one of my favorite stories recently. And I'm reading it at the gym. Two years in a row, I'm weeping at the gym. <laughs> and I'm reading the point of the scripture where Joseph sees he reveals himself to his brothers. And I'm just thinking of the emotion of this moment. This, this kid who's faced betrayal by his brothers. First, the thought of that we're, the, we're gonna kill him, then we're sell him into slavery. I mean, sure, he made some bad choices. He's a little arrogant, probably sharing his dreams and all. But I'm not sure it warranted what he got. <laughs> and he faced betrayal, false accusation, loneliness probably in the prison, being forgotten, being left there. And all along the way, it's like at the very end of this whole emotional journey, he sees his brothers who are almost afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. He says, the Lord has... has, has used me for such a time as this, for the famine in this land, to be a light to the people, to save many people. It's like he stewarded his heart in the journey. He realized that, you know what, Jesus, even if I face false accusation, even if I face betrayal, even if I face all kinds of horrific things, I'm going to trust you and praise you. And ultimately, I know you're good at turning things around. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. And the Lord works all things for the good of those who love him. So where are we at? Wherever you are right now, just have a moment. Have a, let's call it a little bit of a pulse check, okay? Where are we at in this journey? of faith. And are we in a place where we're like, you know what, Jesus, I'm killing it and I'm going to continue to say yes to you. Or are we in a place where we're like, you know what, Jesus, I need a little bit of help still. Like so often we do. <laughs> we're like, Jesus, I, I know I'm never alone. Would you just come and would you fill me in this place? What I'd love to ask us to do is just stand for a moment And close our eyes and just examine our hearts for a moment. How's our yes? How's our, how's our even ifs? How's our worship? And I just feel really led that the house of the Lord is not simply a place to hear a message. It's a place to encounter a person. And I feel like right now, if you're in this room and you're like, this is me. Lord, I need a baptism of your fire. I need a baptism of your faith. I need a baptism of your nature. I just want to ask unashamedly for us just to come to the front and to just do business with the Lord to allow himself to move in us mightily without looking to the left or to the right, without looking at the people around you. I don't care if it's three people in the room or the whole room. This is about you and the Lord and our need for him, our desperation, our desire for him, for his faith in our lives to be made manifest. 
And I want to ask our pastors and our our prayer team just to begin to go lay hands and to pray for the fire of God to fall afresh and anew on every person right now. And if you don't feel led to come to the front, that's okay. Put your hand on someone beside you and begin to pray fire over them anyways. But we're going to take the next few minutes unashamedly and just invite the presence of Jesus to come and encounter us anew today. To give us that enabling spirit to walk in obedience, to walk in faith and follow him wherever he may lead. And I just want to challenge us. I don't feel like this is a moment for simply bystanding. Seriously, if you're not up here, put your hand on somebody. Find somebody around you. Pray for more. And I want to prophesy, I feel the Lord saying that there's some in here who are running from the call of God in their lives. And the Lord says that it's time to come back. It's time to say yes. If you're running from the call of God in your life and you know it and that's burning on you, I want you to come up here to the the middle here. I want to lay hands on you. remember this is not a moment of shame this is a moment of need of our loving Jesus